But to record with Baz was a treat. We recorded, I think, 21 songs in a couple of days, three or four days, and it was a fantastic experience for a young band to record their songs and hear them for the first time. And I'm so proud of the song, lyrically and musically. It's not really one that you would normally hear at all on the radio or anywhere, but it's just one that I love. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson, thanks as always for hitting play. Now, a quick heads up to start with, today's episode will be the last main big interview episode for a few weeks. I usually take a month or so off in the summer to recharge the batteries and it just kind of so happens to have collided with some home repair disasters that we've got going on. Without getting too deep into it, we've been out of our house for a number of weeks with another month or so still to go, so it's kind of the perfect time to put a little break in the schedule. The short daily This Day Rocks episodes will still be running though, as these are in, well, a little peek behind the curtain for you, recorded in back so you will still get your classic rock daily fix nothing to worry about there and a huge thanks once again from me for the feedback that i'm getting to these daily shows and i'm glad to see that everyone is still really enjoying them as always though please do feel free to message me if you have any thoughts or ideas about what i do i create these just for you so definitely please do let me know if you have any thoughts or suggestions i'm always open to constructive criticism or feedback and the best way to do that is to get in touch by email the usual way vintagerockpod at gmail.com. That's vintagerockpod at gmail.com. That would be great to hear from you. Right, on to today's show then. And it's an interview with the main songwriter for a band who really burst through in the UK in the late 70s and then achieved success in North America in the 80s, often considered part of the second British invasion. They achieved a number of top 10 singles this side of the pond and 12 top 40 hits in total. They were on the first ever MTV Unplugged show on November 26th, 1989. And they count bands like Dire Straits, The Jam, R.E.M. and U2 as groups that have been supported attacks to them on their shows. Incredible. I am, of course, talking about Squeeze, and my guest today is the guitarist, occasional singer, and primary lyricist Chris Difford. But as first, a few shout-outs. Hello to Christopher Holmes. He got in touch after listening to last week's interview with Alan Clark. He told some fantastic stories about Tina Turner and Eric Clapton and Bob Dylan, and of course, Dire Straits, who he was with for such a long time. Chris messaged to say, a fellow Northeasterner like me, and a vital part of the Dire Straits sound. He really took the band to another level. A great listen, thanks. Thank you to you, Chris. Bruce Desamont also echoed Chris's sentiments, saying he enjoyed the interview very much. Alan took the band to another level, a big-time unsung hero. Paul Hegarty got in touch this week after one of the This Day Rocks episodes about Stonehenge and Hawkwind's performance there. He said, yes, I was there, sacrificed to this land so fair, Stonehenge decoded, I was there. Beautiful, Paul. A big thanks to everyone who got in touch and who interacted on social media last week as well. I love hearing from you all. Don't forget to check out Vintage Rock Pod on the social media channels. All you got to do is search for Vintage Rock Pod and you'll find us pretty much everywhere. Right, back to today's interview then. Chris Difford. It's a famous story now that he took 50p from his mum's purse to put an ad in a sweet shop window to which Glenn Tilbrook responded. The two of them hit it off immediately and the songwriting began. A familiar pattern of Glenn providing the music and Chris providing the lyrics. I'm not sure how helpful it would be, but they would go on to be hailed as the heirs to Lennon and McCartney in the early period of Squeeze's success. But back to the start then. They soon added Jules Holland to the 
the lineup, a man who would go on to have a huge career in Britain as well with three top 10 albums and seven others inside the top 40. And they added a drummer to form a proper band. Miles Copeland, nonetheless, signed the group originally to BTM Records, but that label went under in 1976 and they had to move on. Now, the group's first single release, Take Me, I'm Yours, went top 20 in 1978 in the UK. And the following year came two monster hits for the band, Call for Cats and Up the Junction. Both reached number two in the UK singles charts and both top 10 in Ireland as well. The 80s came and their influence started to spread further than the British Isles. 1981's Tempted from the East Side Story album was their first hit in America, breaking the top 50 on the Billboard chart and going top 10 on the mainstream rock chart as well. Their influence in the US increased as the decade continued, with Hourglass reaching number 15 and 853-5937 reaching 32 in 1987 and 1988 respectively. And then, as we said earlier, in 1989, they were on the very first MTV Unplugged show playing their set on a bill, which also included Sid Straw and the Cars' Elliot Easton. As with many other groups, various periods of breakups and reformations occurred, but the Difford-Tilbrook partnership always seemed to remain intact. In fact, the two recorded an album together in one of the breaks in the band. Now, as well as being with Squeeze, Chris Difford has also worked with legends like Elton John, Brian Ferry, Elvis Costello and others, as well as many other projects as well. And he also hosts his own podcast series, which you can check out, and that's called I Never Thought It Would Happen. Wonder where he got that line from. Anyway, I managed to grab a quick chat with Chris, who was sat outside with his dog in the garden, as he's going to be appearing at the Cornbury Festival. So I was pleased to get 10 minutes or so just to chat with him. So here you go, my quick chat with Squeeze legend, Chris Difford. Chris, it's a pleasure to speak with you here on Vintage Rock Pod. And uh, busy boy, as always, you've got plenty of different things going on. But the one we're going to talk about first is uh, the Cornbury Festival, 8th to the 10th of July. You're going to be there. You've uh, played the festival before under the guise of Squeeze, and you've played in the uh, the Nero Marquee as well, haven't you, as yourself? And I think that's what you're doing this time. Yeah, it was one of the best gigs of that year, me playing in the Nero tent. It was it was really passionate and funny, and it was just great, great, great fun. Yeah, it sounds like a lovely festival. It's, it's one of those um, nice family-friendly festivals and the, the lineup's always fantastic, isn't it? It's a great festival and long may it be so. I, I, it keeps um, threatening to shut down, but it's in a great place and I think the people that live in that neighbourhood enjoy it. So let's hope it carries on. Absolutely. And just mentioning some of the other acts that are going to be there that weekend as well. We've got Brian Adams and Steve Winwood, the Waterboys, and, and someone you know very well, Jules Holland, is going to be performing as well with his band. Yeah, I may sneak up for a song. Who knows? <laughs> ah, we like the sound of that. We like the sound of that. Uh, now, if you don't mind uh, talking a little bit about your, your career as well, Chris, because it'd be a shame not to, to mention some stuff. Um, I'd like to start with, with Pathway Studios, because it, it's one of those fabled um, places that so many bands have started. Dire Straits obviously cut their Sultans of Swing there and the likes of the police and the damned have been there and and you guys started there too so so what's your memories of that famous small place well it was a small place that's for sure um when i look at photographs of it i don't know how we managed to set up but (laughs) but we but we did um and going to north london in those days was a bit of a mission um it just seemed like it was miles away um but to record with baz was a treat we recorded i think 21 songs in a couple of days three or four days and it was a fantastic experience for a young band to record their songs and hear them for the first time. 
Absolutely. And, and did you speak to any other people that, that, that worked in that studio? I mean, what, what's the vibe around that? What, what's, what's the feeling like in the industry around Pathway? Oh, I don't really remember. I just remember it being a vibey place and John Cale had recorded there and we eventually started working with John. So, yeah, it was it was a treat to be there. Absolutely. And um, just chatting about the band and things like that. I mean, if, if you don't mind indulging us with a story of behind one of the big hits, Call for Cats, it's, it's the one that you sang on as well. And can you remember much about how that, that story came around and how the lyrics for that one came about? Um, we recorded that in John Wood's studio in Chelsea, um, which is a studio that he and um cyril jones built hand built and it was famous for nick drake having recorded there and various other people um and um what i remember about the song was uh it was the first time glenn had given me the music rather than oh, okay. um the other way around where i've given him the lyrics so i had to go around and kind of put the lyrics to the music and it was the first i think it was the first take of the song i wasn't sure whether it was good enough but everybody seemed to applaud and think it was good so that's exactly what you hear now fantastic stuff and um how do you feel about the fact that you were the lead vocalist on that because at that point it was glenn wasn't it that mainly took the lead vocals yeah um you know to me glenn's always had well has an incredible voice and he's an incredible musician producer and um you know i bow to his uh his grace really so um there was no competition for me to sing as well as glenn he sings so perf perfectly absolutely and uh someone else that, that i spoke to recently paul carrack obviously worked with you guys and and i always ask people at the end if they can pick a song to go onto a playlist called artist choice it's something from their own back catalog and considering paul's worked on so many different things he actually chose the song tempted and uh just to read a couple of the words he said he said it was a fantastic lyrics he could only dream of writing a descriptive lyric like that uh, he said he could have sung it better he says it was a bit too high for him at the time but he loves the song and he put that one forward i mean uh, how does that make you feel when you got someone like paul like of all his catalogue to choose from, he's chosen a song written by yourselves. Um, my God, um, I love Paul Carrick. I love working with him. I haven't seen him for such a long time, maybe two years or something. So uh, I must prod him. But um, I'm very honoured and touched by by that. And what do you remember about the whole Tempted song? Because it was another big hit for you guys, wasn't it? Um, all I remember is Elvis Costello, who produced the record, um, saying that maybe this this should be the song that Paul sings and we all kind of weren't ready for that but when Paul sang it it made perfect sense absolutely and when you were working with Elvis because uh, you, you've spoken openly about your admiration for working with Elvis mm. and and things like that I mean how, how was that being in the studio with him at the time uh, it was like being with the best teacher in the school you know he was there to <laughs> impress for me anyway and I enjoyed his company. He was very funny and held, he holds court extremely well. Good stuff. And then obviously um, you had huge hits here in the UK and then kind of in the 80s, you broke America, didn't you? It's not an easy thing to do to, to go over to America and break America, but you guys worked hard. You toured relentlessly, didn't you? And it, it really paid off with, with the audience over there. Yeah, we still do. Um, last year we played over there for over 11 weeks. So we still managed to um, uh, invite an audience and um it's a great place to play and um, it always is that people are joyous and respectful and they really love music music they love squeeze so it's a gift to go over there really it absolutely is 
And what did it feel like when, when, when you started to get that recognition in America? Because it's, it's something the bands really aspire to, don't they? Because it's such a big market. Um, well, it was East and West Coast, first of all. Um, and then the Midwest didn't mean very much, but now it's kind of everywhere in, in pockets. So we're very lucky to have that. And I think it was forged really by our relationship with college radio at the time. Um, of course, that's non-existent now. It's all streaming radio stations, stations and it's difficult to to cover all of that. And in terms of yourself, then, you, you do lots of other things that keep you busy, songwriting, um, workshops and things like that. You do, you're do you doing various things over during lockdown and things over Zoom mm. and things, but you do things in person as well, don't you, in terms of your songwriting workshops and stuff like that. Now, do you enjoy that? I mean, what does that entail? Um, well, I've been running them for 30 years and it's something that I love doing. I love meeting new songwriters and old friends. And really, it's about keeping friendships and building them and not really about writing songs. I think it's it's about writing songs in the future, but it's about getting together and holding hands and saying, yeah, this is what we can do. Um, so we hire a big house and I invite loads of different writers from all over the place and we meet and eat, drink, eat cheese, write <laughs> songs. What could be better? and inspire each other as well absolutely um and just somebody else to mention as well someone you forged a good relationship with uh, was elton john and you you worked with him didn't you on, on various songs and and very and other things as well didn't you um well i wrote one song with him which was very came out of the blue he asked me to write a lyric for him and i was kind of a bit gobsmacked that he would ask me <laughs> um but of course i rose to the challenge and got on with it and then went round to his house and we recorded it. It took about four hours. Um, and we became friends and, you know, I think I haven't really, I haven't seen him for many years now uh, and I don't have as much contact as I used to have because we're just obviously in completely different universes. But I watch him, follow him, respect him and love him. Fantastic. And obviously yourself and, and Glenn have worked together for, for such a long time since you were teenagers um, in and out of squeeze as well. That You guys have, have collaborated in between and things like that. So the, the way that things work between you, what is it you think that's held you together for so long and, and keeps that magic there? Um, well, I guess it must be our differences. We're very different people. We like different music, I think. We like um, different everything i guess but the thing that brings us together is the chords that glenn writes and the words that i write so it's that's that's the kind of um the glue that keeps our relationship tight incredible stuff and and how how did it work because it's, it's obvious that you wrote all the lyrics and, and glenn writes all the, the music to it so and you mentioned earlier that it was the first time that glenn had, had given you a, a backing track basically and you put the lyrics to cool for cats so in terms of songwriting lyrics do you just send him a big batch and see what comes back how, how does that kind of work well, how did that work at the time? Um, well, it's kind of how it works now as well. As um, I'll get the call asking for some lyrics. I'll sit and write some and then send them to Glenn. And then eventually uh, I'll get to hear if any of them made it to the uh, drawing board. And, um, you know, these days it's kind of we're, we don't write as much as we used to because there isn't the time really to do that, that kind of... Uh, passionate songwriting relationship that was once there doesn't exist because we're older and we've got different things going on. Um, but, you know, I'm very proud of the things we've written and uh, always will be.
And then just one last question. I kind of teased it earlier on. I ask everybody to give me one song from their own back catalogue to add to a playlist called Artist Choice. Can you uh, put forward one of your songs and give me a reason why you've chosen that one? Um, well, Letting Go from an album called Play um, is one of my favourite all-time squeeze songs because the chord structure is so imaginative and so emotive. Um, and I'm so proud of the song lyrically and musically. It's not really one that you would normally hear at all on the radio or anywhere, but it's just one that I love. Excellent. And that's going on to the list. Thank you very much, Chris. Now, uh, definitely do check out the Cornbury Festival. You can see Chris in the marquee um, on the 8th to the 10th of July is the festival. So it's definitely worth getting down there, isn't it? It is. I'll see you there. And a big thanks to Chris Difford there. Right now, it's the time of the show for the top fives. And of course, this week will be Squeeze. But first, a quick look back on last week's. Now, with Dire Straits man Alan Clark on the show last week, I've done Dire Straits before, obviously, I decided to do Tina Turner's top five tracks as Alan was her musical director for years. Thank you to everyone that got in touch with their thoughts and their top five lists. Uh, thank you to Craig Noble. He got in touch to say his number one would be Steel Claw. Great song, didn't make my top five. But he also added The Best which I couldn't squeeze in there either, but is legendary, and her duet with Brian Adams called It's Only Love. Kevin Williams on Twitter also agreed with that duet, putting it at number one on his list, while adding another duet, the version of It Takes Two that she did with Rod Stewart. Now, I remember my mum absolutely loved that song because that was their two favourite singers combining. Anyway, Mark Walsh was also in touch, and uh, a bit like me, he picked plenty from her early catalogue with Ike, and he said this, Although Proud Mary was a Credence Clearwater song, Tina and Ike's version is by far the best. The way it builds from a meander to a blistering steam train is insane. And lastly, thanks to Sierra, Kikiera, Kiara McCarthy, Apologies if I've got that wrong, probably have. Uh, she said the number one has to be What's Love Got To Do With It? It is an absolute classic. Thank you very much to everybody who was in touch this week. Right, so this week, as we said, it's going to be my top five favourite songs from Squeeze. But remember, this is my personal choice. Highly subjective. I don't expect you to agree. And in fact, I'd love to hear how you disagree. So please reach out with your own top fives this week too. So here you go. My top five favourite Squeeze songs according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a song from their East Side Story album produced by Elvis Costello. It's a real blue-eyed soul type of song with brilliant lyrics. It features lead vocals from Paul Carrack from his time in the band. At five is Tempted. At four is their highest charting single in America, coming from the Babylon and On album released in 1987. It has a truly infectious chorus. It's bouncy as hell and a proper earworm. At four is Hourglass. At three is one of their big hits in the UK from 1979. Another brilliant bit of storytelling with Chris writing the lyrics while on tour in the US. The title referring to someone in trouble, much like you'd use the phrase up the creek without a paddle. At three is up the junction.
At number two is a track from an album of the same name released in 1979. It's definitely Squeeze, but sounds a bit different with Chris Difford taking lead vocal duties on a rare song. It was a big hit in the UK and paved the way for things like Blur's Park Life to follow. At number two is Cool for Kids. And meanwhile at the station there's a couple of likely lads who swear like as your father and they're very cool for cats, they're cool for cats. And at number one is a track from their Argy Bargy album in 1980. It was written after an experience Chris had at a holiday camp, and he said it offers an observation of the British working class at a seaside holiday resort. Although it never made the UK top 40 when released, it's still my favourite song of theirs, with a nice gritty feel wrapped in a bouncy melody. The number one squeeze song, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is Pulling Muscles from a Shell. So there you go, my top five favourite songs from Squeeze. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this list. Where do you agree? Where do you disagree? Just let me know. Email me, vintagerockpod at gmail.com or you can catch me on any of the social media platforms. Now, I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. And if you did, please hit subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on so you don't miss any more future big interviews or the new daily This Day Rock shows. Short five-minute daily releases. If you haven't checked those out yet, please do so. Remember, this interview show, though, will pause for about a month, four weeks or so, so I can catch up with what life is throwing at me right now. But the daily shows will continue, however. But in that time, please don't be a stranger. Get in touch, comment on social media. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Well, that's it for me then. This time, I'll be back tomorrow with the This Day Rocks. But remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of classic rock, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.